And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And it, it, it is my joy and privilege to tell you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably, and also making it possible for us to bring you the magic that is the Startup Hustle podcast. We, we, we love you, Full Scale. Uh, well, so today, um, I, I'm really interested. So usually, I'm going to let you listeners in on a little secret. But generally, when I hop on a recording with a guest, I kind of know what's going to happen conversationally. Like, I, I don't necessarily have all of the individual questions written out or anything like that. But I, I have a general gist of the conversation that is about to take place. Well, today's guest, I'm going to tell you, I have no fucking idea what's going to happen on this, this podcast episode, because we have with us today, Elizabeth Bowman. Elizabeth is VP of Client Strategy for December Labs. But I have to tell you one of the most impressive things about her, and keep in mind, I've known her for, you know, 10, 15 minutes as we do our pre-show prep. Uh, she seems to know a little bit about a lot of things. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of things around the entrepreneurial process and technology and IP. And there are just so many conversational ways we can go. And dear listeners, I have no idea what's going to happen right now, but I am going to start off by thanking Elizabeth for being here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait for this conversation. <laughs> Lauren, I'm very, very excited to be here. And yeah, cheers to not having a plan. <laughs> I, you know, we're just we're just going to whiten up it, which is the entrepreneurial way, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the fun part of it. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're getting very meta. We're going to be entrepreneurial on the podcast about entrepreneurialism. Uh, and, yep. and I'm very much looking forward to it. Well, let's go ahead and kick it off in, in the grandest way. And Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you, tell us about your journey. That's, um, yeah, that's actually a very, very complex question um, because there have been definitely many different journeys in my life. Sure, sure. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Words to the wise, I do love complex questions. So, you know, setting that expectation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah may, um, may, maybe also kind of uh, as an introduction or, um, yeah, to explain a little bit where I come from uh, journey-wise. Um, yeah, I, I am a German born and raised. Uh, I come from a small island in the North Sea uh, of Germany. And uh, which is where I grew up. But ever since then, uh, yeah, I've crossed continents, lived in many different countries, spoken many different languages. Um, today, I actually uh, reside in South America in beautiful Montevideo, Uruguay. Ever been there? I have not, but I've certainly seen pictures, and yeah, no. I, I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie, but uh, you, know, you you are a global citizen. Is there a place that has struck you uh, more so than others that you would return to? Or are you pretty happy where you're at? Um, 
I am pretty happy where I'm at. I think one of the constants that I always have been looking for is the sea, the ocean. Uh, I grew up a navy brat. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, no way around it. And I mean, we yeah. again, we we did we did move a lot, but we're always close to the sea. So yeah, oh, I, that I, I think is that. is kind of the common ground there. Awesome. Well, so so tell us more about your story. I mean, how how did you end up where you are now? Other than, yeah. being, than being a traveler extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, right. No, so, um, I mean, again, after, you know, growing up in Germany, I did spend some time in the U.S., in California, actually. Uh, went back to Germany, um, got my Master's of Economics. Uh, in the meantime, um, did spend already some time abroad in South America, where I kind of got trapped. And, um, yeah, from economics, uh, did a switch to digital marketing. And, you know, you were talking about wow. journeys and how that, uh, you know, and, and I think that is really, that was really one of the first uh, kind of strange journeys in a way that I did. Um, but uh, when I was studying economics, one of my main areas of focus was behavioral economics. And actually, that's not that unrelated to marketing. If you think about, you know, like how behavioral economics really tries to take under consideration um, what uh, people think when they act within those economic models. So yeah, yeah. so my first, um, my, my first journey, um, literally, and meaning that I moved to South America, but also professionally um, was from economics to digital marketing. And I was very lucky there to work um, with uh, amazing companies um, in the media segment, the music segment, um, Universal Music, Warner Music, Sony Music, many different artists, many different entertainment companies. And I am actually also you know, talking again about journeys. I am a musician. So that really tied wow. nicely there. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, between, um, yeah, between the, you know, like kind of working with what was my hobby um, to doing also many things in that sense professionally. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the journey number one, I would say. That is that is super impressive. Would you would you say that you are? It, it seems like you are a perpetual student of life. You know, learning <laughs> I try to, yeah. Traveling different places, meeting new people, learning new instruments, learning new trades. Because because I do have to say, yeah. I can see that there are commonalities between yeah. economics and digital marketing, marketing, mm -hmm. and, and behavioral psychology, yeah. and like you know, there are all of these different threads that are. Are, I, I feel that they would be transferable, yeah. uh, but I had never really thought about that before. So I want yeah. to ask you a little bit more about about that decision. What was mm -hmm. the process that brought you to to such a pivot? I think it has a little bit to do with my initial decision to go for economics, which was not that much for a passion of economics, but more for what I would be able to do with it. Um, I thought, you know, like economic, like I always saw myself already as kind of an international nomad, knowing that I did not want to study or, you know, do anything which was going to limit me to either a specific country, a specific continent. Um, and yeah, and economics, you know, kind of sounded like a, <laughs> like a good, like a good path to go down. Um, but I was not necessarily super passionate about some of the uh, yeah, so some of the typical like job journeys that you take on. I was not going to work in, you know, a financial institution being, you know, like kind of, um, yeah, just in that, you know, corporate only world. Um, I always had that creative side to me, like more on the um, on the personal end. So, yeah. And I always actually thought I should work in a record at a record company. Like when I was growing up, I was like, you know, yeah. I should work on the business side of music. But then, yeah, like think about, you know, kind of the 
2000s, you know, after Napster, uh, after, you know, like um, kind of uh, piracy um, started entering the music world, which, uh, you know, the music was really one of the first um, businesses to really suffer from that, from the entire, you know, like uh, internet journey. So um, the thing is that uh, actually working in digital marketing was a great moment to be in a great kind of way that just fell into place um, to meet that kind of, you know, first dream that I had. Yeah. Because, um, again, uh, music, the music industry one, was one of the first ones to respond um, to uh, the challenges of piracy and was one of the first industry to look at the digital consumer. So, you know, think about Facebook, you know, the first musicians showing up there. Well, MySpace, actually, before that even. And so... Um, yeah, uh, and and it was just really fun, you know, having to listen to music all day <laughs> because yeah. you were thinking about creative marketing plans and just you know how to how to sell music, which in the end is not like you're selling a vacuum cleaner. It's about you know right. making a connection. So yeah, that Absolutely. I think was really a fun well, part of it. I, I I love that you found a field that allowed you to exercise your uh, your your creativity, and it, yeah. it allowed you to really like break down that because when you think about digital marketing like really all you're doing is you're breaking down human behavior yeah. and cons specifically consumer behavior yeah. and and trying to figure out how to speak to it and so mm -hmm. I, I love the fact that you 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 attacked the industry from multiple <laughs> angles as it served you that is that is super cool now now tell us how did you end up in in a startup um yeah well actually um what like some of the main some of the main areas that you know, we always were working on were, um, you know, on the one hand, digital products, meaning, you know, e-commerces, landing pages, websites, for example, for these artists or for these record companies. Uh, in addition to that, obviously, social media strategy, anything kind of around that. But I did always kind of like more the product centric focus uh, of things. And for many years, I was able to do that. But then really, the last final years, it was just all about social media. And it can be really overwhelming. Um, I mean, sure. I, I'm sure, you know, it, it might have happened to you also, you know, on the one hand, you have to use some of it for your, for, you know, for work, you use some of it, you know, privately, but then if you have to work in that space, it's, 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 it's really intense. And so um, I had been kind of flirting with the tech space in general. And um, yeah, was at a certain point really make, ready to make that transition and um, got the opportunity to pivot to December Labs, which more than a startup, though, I mean, the company has been around since 2014. So um, at that moment when I joined in 2018, um, yeah, it, it was still almost kind of a startup. Um, but really more than that, it is, um, you know, a design and development company working with many different startups. So um, I really was able to pivot there again to something that I, that, that I had previously found or started to be really passionate about. So um, yeah. again, like when you just think of like the journey of, you know, being an economist to working in technology, that path or that journey might not see as, might not seem as straightforward in the beginning. But then when you kind of look at the journey, you know, kind of broken down in steps, I think it just kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> It, it really does. And I, and I love the way that you've kind of crafted this career that e each step has prepared you for the next. Right. That is, 
Definitely. That's incredible. And, and given you, you like it's helped you broaden your scope and your, your skill set. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, like when we were, when we were talking, you know, in guest craft, I was like, I don't even know what we're going to talk about. I know, I know. <laughs> I actually wanted to be an astronaut when I was, when I was little. That's I think where it all started out with. Didn't get to do that yet, but, um, but yeah. I wanted, was... to, I wanted to be Mae Jemison. I remember. Oh my I, gosh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, so let me, let's, let's ask you. So the thing that I want to talk about right now is December mm-hmm. labs. And I just want to mm-hmm. get a little tactical, tactical with yeah. you for a moment. So, sure so talk to us about December labs. What do you do? How do you mm-hmm. work with your clients? What does, what does mm-hmm. that look like? Right. I mean, the, the, the simple answer is of course, you know, we provide design and development services mainly for startups, also for some enterprises uh, from Google to Accenture and many, many in-betweens. But I like to look at this um, always kind of from a different perspective because we are really building people's products. And if you want to get a little bit more cheesy, uh, people's dreams, because that's yeah. really what it's, uh, because oh, it's really what dreams. it is. No, really. No. And you don't know how many times it happens to me that I, you know, speak to entrepreneurs, startup founders, and, you know, they tell us or they tell me about their idea. And I just get really excited about it because, uh, you know, either there's just such a, such an interesting story behind it or they're really trying to solve a problem that's not being solved so far or they're trying to improve people's lives i mean there are of course many different objectives that a startup can have um, anything from um yeah entertainment to providing a solution for something and uh, but but i always or most of the time really see a lot of passion behind that and that's and that's really contagious like you get that every day and i always say you know like before i was lucky because i was you know able to listen to music all day as part of my job now I am so lucky to hear about so many amazing, inspiring stories every day. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's the more kind of. <laughs> I got to tell you, that's actually yeah. one of my favorite parts of what I do too. I mean, the fact is like, and this, this, you know what, I'm going to take a moment, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, let's take a moment to honor the entrepreneurs listening at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we see you and what you do yeah. is really, really, really hard. But hopefully it's driven by the kind of passion and the kind of vision yeah. and the kind of excitement that Elizabeth is talking about, because otherwise we wouldn't do it. Like if, yeah. we, if yeah. we didn't have that love of the game and love of what we're doing and belief in, in what we're doing, we wouldn't do it because it wouldn't be worthwhile, right? Yeah. No, and it's really and it's really hard. It's really hard. And, you know, you see... How, how many people in those positions while they're you know driven by their dreams how of course they also uh, suffer just because there's so much that they're putting um you know on the table there and uh, so yeah. much times uh, you know oftentimes money um you know before they they start to get some uh, some financial um support there as well so um so yeah and and i think from my end it's always super important to emphasize with that you know like i mean yeah. yes of course i might be speaking to someone who at the end of the day will ask me you know hey do you have a design that can work uh, that can work with me on my prototype that's the technical part of it but i really try to 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 go a lot beyond that and really understand what the problem is like and how can you support that person and sometimes the uh, answer is yeah we can help you and sometimes it's not but you can still have a conversation about some of the many learnings that we have had in all of these years working with so many different startups and i always yeah try to try to provide that kind of support because I think it's just, you know, it's, it's so much bigger than just that specific conversation that you're having in that day. Yeah. Well, and I mean, entrepreneurship is so, so powerful. I mean, it has Mm -hmm. the, the, the opportunity to transform communities and transform families and transform society. 
uh, you know, it's just, it's so very layered and, and I, I love your, your dedication to it. Now I want to ask you, um, you know, one of the things that I find so interesting about what you do, uh, or, or at least my perception <laughs> of what you do, uh, but you know, you, you say that you're, you're helping, you know, startups and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to build their dreams. And I, I wholeheartedly believe in that, but a, a, a huge piece of that puzzle and something that we kind of mm-hmm. talked on, touched on when we were talking before is, is that design piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we had discussed was like that, that product life cycle. And so I mm-hmm. want to ask you, and I, 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 I kind of want to start at the mm-hmm. 10,000 foot view, if that's okay mm-hmm. with you. And then we yeah. can get a little bit more specific, but I want to talk to you about design as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's on my set list, but I really, really wanted to ask you this is how does design drive technology? Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's a great question. And um, really, you know, going at the, you know, 10,000 miles high kind of perspective, when you're building any product, I mean, of course, we're talking here today about digital products, but really any uh, with any product, I always try to emphasize on, you know, you really needing to make sure that you're building the right product and you will, you, you're building it the right way. And yeah. those are two things that have to kind of come together. And um, the answer of, you know, like how to solve this and also make sure that you try to be one of those startups that actually succeeds. I mean, I just saw um, the other day, you know, uh, um, an article once again confirming how, you know, nine out of 10 startups tend to fail um, after a certain amount of time. So yeah. it's really hard. And how how can you try to try as much as possible to be within those 10% that actually work? Um, yeah. It is really about building the right product the right way. And how do you do that? Or what kind of tools can you leverage? Well, the design um, aspect of it is really um, going to help you with most most of those questions. Um, a lot of, a lot of you know, the design and software um, today is um, uh, based on design thinking um, uh, methodologies, yeah. which actually have been around for a long time, like I think since the 60s or so. And they have been, like it's this is like something actually totally independent of software originally. You know, it was, yeah. uh, and it was applied in architecture, in education, in so many different ways. But fortunately, it has made its way to software because we all remember yeah. those websites from the 90s that <laughs> definitely weren't designed by designers and that sure. we never, that yeah. we never want to see again. <laughs> um, but then also, of course, during that time, there was a lot less competition as far as digital products. But today yeah. there is. And for example, when you're building a mobile app, and you're a startup, um, your mobile app will on users' phones um, be right next to Instagram, right next to Spotify, you know, like next to apps that have invested millions. I don't, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but that just are a very strong competition. So how do you make sure that your app or, you know, be it uh, more on the website, um, you know, that, that your product really solves a problem? And that's where it really comes to putting the user first. Um, design thinking really talks about putting the user at the center of all your decision yeah. making. And well, that's and so, so yeah. real quick. I just I want to bust in, and I, for those of you who are not familiar with design thinking, design thinking is a problem solving methodology. Mm-hmm. And there there are five stages. The first is empathize. You know, figure out your users' needs by talking to them and trying to understand them. Uh, stage two is defining. So you have to restate your users' needs and make sure that you're asking, to your earlier point, Elizabeth, make sure that you're asking the right form of the question. And I, I have some stories around that. I actually do some design <laughs> thinking workshops periodically, and I, I have some stories. Oh, I love that. 
Uh, stage three, you got to ideate, you know, remove all of those fetters on your mind. Think big, do that moonshot thinking, but brainstorm and, and talk and come up with, with ideas and solutions to the problem. Um, then you prototype, you build out test models with which to, you can test small portions of a process, you can test software, but you know, you figure out how to build what you want to build, and then you try it out. And then finally, you are reiterating, you're refining, you're developing, and you're bringing a, a strong product to market or a strong concept to market. So so I just wanted to, to throw that out there. That's kind of- Thanks a lot, the, yeah. The stages <laughs> of design thinking. Um, but yeah, to your point, you know, one of the hugest parts, and, and there's even an Albert Einstein quote that goes along with this, you know, if I had a pro, I'm paraphrasing here, so bear with me, but if I had a problem, I, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I would spend 55 minutes uh, thinking about the problem and five minutes on the solution. He said something mm -hmm. like that, because you really mm -hmm. have to, you have to, in design thinking, you have to have that empathy piece. Like, yeah. do you know your customer? Do you know what they want? Do you know how to deliver what they want? And so I would, yeah, I would love to hear you expound on mm -hmm. that a little bit, that user experience piece. No, th 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 thanks so much. I think it's, you know, I don't know how many people are really acquainted with, um, with this kind of over, uh, yeah, overall, you know, principle of design thinking, because oftentimes people, when they think about design, they just think about the final interface, you know, what you, what we call right. the UI, the user interface. What it looks like. <laughs> exactly. Like the colors, you know, like how yeah. big or small is, are oh, the fonts. So, so much more. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and that is part of it. That is part of it, but it's only one part. Um, but really the more research approach almost about, as you were saying, you know, emphasizing, um, ideating, but also validating things with users. Um, yeah, there, there is the, the good thing is really that there are so many things to do today around that. Um, Kind of a lot of a lot of that kind of goes under the umbrella of UX user experience. So you all, you oftentimes will see you know uh, the the role of a UX UI designer, for example. And one of yeah. the first things that I always say is you know like the one thing that those two have in common is the U for the user because both sure. of them are user centric, and that's really what it is about. It as you were saying, it is about putting the user at the center of what you're doing and validating with users every step of the way. So going to you know like a little bit more more tactical, um, um, yeah, to, to a little bit more tactical approach here. We, for example, at December Labs, try to really validate with users, be it potential users, because this is a new platform and you have to you know source users based on the segment that you want to sell this product to in the future or existing users if you're doing um, you know, different um, iterations on something that you've already built, but really validating things with users. And this is from the beginning to understand, you know, to really understand if what you're trying to build or what you're trying to iterate on is actually what people want. Yeah. Because because oftentimes people think, you know, user validation is only in the end, you know, with the clickable prototype, which basically is, you know, putting all of those different design screens that you have done in a wireframing stage or in the final stage, yeah. um, putting them together, you know, so that you can kind of click through them. But that's just one of the many things of user validation. For it's sure. also I, about, oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Can I tell a story? Because I, I yes, have a story I and I, I love telling the story when I do a design thinking workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, the first thing I have to tell you is I, I do have to bust in and tell you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io. They can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. Imagine your life 
as you try to deliver a technology product, imagine your life being made easier. And that's what full scale does. And that's what I, I see them do in their clients' lives time and time again. Um, but yeah, I just, we're very grateful to them. But all right, so I, I have this story. Here it goes. So I was doing, I used to work for an organization that um, they're really innovating in, even to this day, innovating in experiential education for kids. Mm -hmm. And so design thinking is one of the methodologies that they used to use. And I remember we had partnered with an area bank and the we, we used to run programs where we would reach out to high school students and we would take them through a design thinking process and have them solve a problem that an organization in our community was having just to kind of introduce them mm -hmm. to, the, to the concepts. We partnered with a bank and the bank, the question that the bank was initially asking was how might we engage students in in saving for their future and they had a you know they had all of these products as a bank that they could offer to students you know student checking and you know savings accounts to save up for mm -hmm. college tuition and thing and things like that and it was you know it was great so we go into this thing and we're asking the students tell us how to engage you in long-term financial strategy uh management like how can we engage you mm -hmm. in this process now, what was fascinating is like we all expected the solutions that the kids came back with. We expected all of the solutions to be technology oriented. Oh, uh -huh. you need to do an app to let us check in and you need to give us reward point. Like that is 100% what we were expecting. Right. But then over the course of the day, as we went through the, you know, the, the, the ideation, validation, you know, empathy processes of a design thinking, mm -hmm. the solutions that the kids all came up with were, were they were all like, like they didn't know finance about finance. Like nobody had stopped right. and taught them. So all of their solutions were related to come to our high school and tell us about saving. Like what wow. tell us what a saving yeah. a savings account is before we can strategize on how to get us <laughs> to use one. And so like a lot of the solutions were like, yeah, just have a pizza party and like we'll have a class <laughs> where we'll talk about like checkings account, checking accounts and CDs and investments mm -hmm. and all of those things that like nobody has taught us yet. And so the problem that this bank was having was not the problem that they thought they had. And mm -hmm. so so figuring out that they were able to, you know, talk to their potential customers, it was mm -hmm. hugely enlightening for them because they they were able to empathize that first stage mm -hmm. of design thinking and and really listen to their customers and determine this is not the best form of the question. The best form of the right. question is how can we educate our students on financial literacy so that we can then engage them in saving strategies, financial health, and set them up for success. They had missed the first part of the right. equation. And so right. I just, I find it fascinating because yeah. that's exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. No, a hundred percent agreed. And it is exactly how we, how we were saying you know, to validate something even before you're building it. Because if the bank would have taken the decision to say, hey, we, we know what, or we, we think we know what these, you know, what these high school students will app. want. So, so <laughs> we are going to build the app and then we will validate it with them. They would have missed the entire point of things. And well, so and that is- So much time it, and money exactly. and labor and- No, yeah. exactly. And that's exactly why it is so important to make sure, you know, going again, one step back, to build the right product. Yes, then, of course, afterwards, making sure you build it the right way, but build the right product. And don't just think that because you think you know what the solution is, uh, you know, that you know that for everyone else, especially when you are not your own target demographics. 
Because, right. you know, sometimes, I mean, you might, you know, something might have happened to you, you might have gone through a situation, um, you know, for example, in healthcare, we see it a lot, you know, entrepreneurs from, um, you know, different um, types of healthcare startups, um, they have had personal experiences within their family members, you know, certain people yeah. have gotten sick, or maybe they, you know, had, um, you know, um, they, they have parents that got out of the hospital and didn't have the proper post, um, you know, op care. So that's where, you know, their ideas for startups come in from. And they have a lot of um, kind of own experience to, um, yeah, to just nurture that idea. But in this case of the bank, they, like the decision makers or the people that were going to come up with that idea, weren't they weren't high school students. And when they right. were high school students, they probably had totally different problems than high school students today. So I love that example and how that actually, you know, made the, the entire situation pivot, but hopefully to a solution that actually is focused on their users, yeah. potential customers. And so, well, and, and what was great is, you know, like by the end of the day, the higher ups at the bank who were on site, they were like, okay, like we need to kind of, we need to change this strategy. We need to figure yeah. out what we can do to, to educate these kids and then engage these kids and hopefully cultivate long-term customers for the bank, which, mm -hmm. you know, great, but more importantly, foster financial health awareness for the students. Yeah. You know, how can we help our, set our kids up for success? So one of the things that I want to, to talk to you about, um, and, and, you know, we, we talk about the, the struggles of being an entrepreneur. We definitely just mm -hmm. referenced that. But one of the things that entrepreneurs get super, super uh, cagey about, uh, and something that I believe you know quite a bit about, is uh, <laughs> the title of this episode, Is My App Really Mine? Uh, and I want to talk to you about that because, you know, entrepreneurs, they go through a, just a huge long process to, to develop and, and reiterate and iterate their products. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us about, about that piece of it, the, the intellectual property mm -hmm. piece. Yeah, I think as we were saying a little bit earlier, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to, you are wearing so many different hats. You have to be, you know, aware or guide or drive so many different areas. And especially when it comes to software development, there are many things that you as a non-technical founder might not know in the beginning. And yeah. so one of the things that, um, you know, happens a lot to us uh, at December Labs is, of course, that we have conversations with people who have in the past already started to build something. And maybe they want us to take over because ABC reasons, you know, they are not happy or they their you know, previous team is not able to scale or um, they just want a different approach. There, there, there are a number of different reasons. And one of the first things that we always ask is, you know, like, um, do uh, like do you have the IP under your hood? You know, like what, like do do you have access and ownership of everything? And most of the time, fortunately, um, people say, yeah, we do. But actually, oftentimes it also happens that they say, oh. Let me check. I think, you know, everything is on our previous developer servers or yeah. actually I don't have access to this, but yes, to this, but not to that. Or, you know, when it comes to um, the actual app, you know, the certificates or even user accounts for the app stores. And so um, one of the things that we try to do in general is just evangelize and share knowledge in the tech space. And this includes, you know, design thinking, UX, UI design, but also software development and best practices, just because I think that in spite of, you know, someone working together with us or not, or us being a right partner, 
the more the entire ecosystem is knowledgeable about different things, the better for everyone because the more sure. the, like the better decisions they will make. So um, that is one of the one of the parts of a, a series, a knowledge kind of based series that we put together on our blog which is called Is My App Really Mine? with just kind of like a checklist of some of the things to check that you want to make sure at a minimum to make sure, you know, um, it, when before you even start building a tech product, like make sure that you have all of those um, parts checked. And if you see that something of that is missing when you're looking at that list, then do make sure that you're asking your developers the right questions about that. Hey, you know, like we really need to make sure that this is on our end, that this is on our servers, that we have access to the code, to the code base, to documentation, because you never know what happens. You know, I mean, it's not just about sometimes not being happy with your development team. It might also be, um, yeah, that, um, I mean, there, there are many different things going on in, in the world. We have seen that now, you know, with, um, with the with the war going on in in uh, between Ukraine and Russia, we actually yeah. have many people in our ecosystem that have developers there, and it's really hard for them because they want to support their team members over there. But sometimes, you know, they can't just ensure business as usual. Of course, I mean that's you know right. secondary if you if you think about everything that's going on there. But uh, but yeah, but how if you still have a business to run? How do you make sure that you could at least, you know, for some time then take, you know, things into your own hands? You do have to make sure that you, yeah, have everything under your control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that 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 feeling of security and control, I, I cannot imagine. I mean, I know that I sleep well at night knowing that my assets are mine. Uh, yeah. How about you? How about you, Elizabeth? Do you sleep well at night? <laughs> I try. I try. I have to say that um, one of uh, actually one one of the things that we work with a lot are wearables and kind of the wellness space, and a lot yeah. of them, like it seems that everything today is trying to make you sleep better. So, and, you know, and be relaxed or you like alleviate stress. And so I think it's just, yeah, part, part of the generation or the world that we live in today is that we, I think we dedicate so much time to trying to sleep well. So I don't know if yeah, I do sleep you, well, but I do try to leverage technology oftentimes to do so. I mean, I feel as though being an entrepreneur, like there's definitely a little piece of that, that it's like, yeah, you're not going to sleep well for the next like five years. You know? I know. Like, it's like a baby. It's like, you know, of it's mind. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> But anything that can contribute to that, to that, uh, that help with sleep. I mean, we all need sleep, you know. All right. So, so I do want to ask you, and I, and I'm very curious. We, we've definitely touched on a lot. <laughs> but now I'm going to ask you to put your consultant hat on for our listeners. Mm -hmm. What are some some very simple things that our our listeners at home can implement tomorrow mm -hmm. to positively impact their Oh, I don't know, product development, mm -hmm. you know, design, like any of the things mm -hmm. that we've talked about. Sure. Um, I think user validation, if you are not doing that today, uh, start implementing that tomorrow for whatever kind of product that you're building that you have built. And there are fortunately many different tools out there that you can leverage. Um, on the one hand, when it comes to prototyping, and again, I'm getting really tactical here. <laughs> so if you have any questions later on, please feel free to reach out. But when it comes to, um, to actual prototyping, we oftentimes use Figma, which is also um, the platform mostly used for design. But sometimes we use a, uh, we use a platform called um, Azure, um, which helps you, you know, to um, get all those different input for uh, fields um, actually being 
like uh, your, your potential users or the people that you're validating this with can actually, you know, for example, type in their email address or things like that, just so that it feels more real. Because for example, if you have a product that has a very lengthy onboarding process, it's not the same if you're testing it with users and they just have to click next than if they actually have to fill in those forms, even if it's just fictitiously. So yeah. um, use different tools for prototyping. Uh, we also use platforms such as Lookback, for example, for um, remote um, uh, usability studies where, you know, you have uh, where you can have user interviews and record that session. But, um, but basically anything from transcribing to making notes is really being facilitated um, with these kind of tools. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are many different ones out there. Again, happy to connect with anyone who might be interested in that. But use sure. the tools that are out there because you can really get a lot of just listening um, to your potential users and yeah, uh, helping them with a solution. So do you, all right, I, I have a, I have a, uh, I have a favorite customer discovery method uh, and it is user interviews for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, as you can imagine, I love to talk, uh, <laughs> but well, and I just love to talk to people and hear their stories. Do you have, do you have a favor, uh, a favorite feedback mechanism? Um, I do like, you know, to, for example, whenever we do user interviews, um, we always do them in the pair of pairs of two, because one person is typically the moderator who is actually guiding the person through an entire, you know, session or so. And then there's the other one who's the observer and no a note taker. And I love to be an observer. I love to you know, read kind of between the lines. I like to look at body language and expressions. Like people tell us so many things um, besides what they actually say. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And also one of the other things that I really enjoy is, you know, there in, in, in user research and UX research, there's so many different tactics to validate like one specific thing. For example, let's think about, you know, you having a huge platform with a lot of different menus and sub menus, you know, you can actually validate how users would group the different areas. You know, maybe the about us section should be under a totally different, you know, tree than uh, in, within the sitemap than where it is today because users that way won't find it or things like that or support sections. So really use all those very, specific tactics and um and yeah and get like really nitty and gritty i love how today we have so many solutions for that i love it that makes me so happy <laughs> uh, no, that was great i like i just i love the passion coming through in your voice it's you know mm, chef's kiss Mwah. Uh, <laughs> well so let me ask you this, my friend, uh, I, I'm coming up on the human question and I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what I want to ask you because I want to ask you like five different things, but I think, all right. I think that I am, all right. I know what I'm going to ask. Here it comes. All right. You are a world traveler and I love uh -huh. world tra travelers. Y'all, y'all make me very excited. I wish I could travel more. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is what is your favorite place that you have visited? Not that you've lived, you've lived a bunch of places, but mm -hmm. what is your favorite place that you have visited and why? My favorite place I visited. I have to say it's probably there. There's probably not that one single answer to it, but one of the places that I really enjoyed um, is Costa Rica. Okay. Why? Because Besides this just being an amazing country, um, you know, nature-wise and the entire variety of things that you can do, you know, from volcanoes to sloths to, uh, you yeah. know, Caribbean ocean and everything, it's just the people. Like um, when you are in a place where people are just really kind 
that yeah. just makes everything so much better. Like I've, I've traveled to places that, you know, might be amazing as far as scenery or amazing as far as, you know, activities and things like that. But when you don't feel that people are, you know, really, really kind and open, it's not the same experience. So I think sure. that just goes such a long way. Oh, that's it. Well, not only did that just make me super happy, but it made me want to visit Costa Rica. I you should, you should. Yeah. Well, well, Elizabeth, I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time to, to chat with us, to share your story and to share a little bit about your, your methodology. Uh, it, it has been a, a pleasure and an honor. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. And it was just really exciting yeah, to have a fellow passionate person here about everything you know related to yeah to, to just I mean, like you, the really you fun stuff whole, here you have a whole <laughs> audience of excited passionate people I listening to you right now so so you are I think we're all in good company <laughs> yeah uh and 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 like I said thank you listeners uh we love that you take the time to spend with us every Every week, um, hopefully multiple times a week, we do drop recordings. Uh, five days a week, I believe, as of right now. Uh, don't don't tell Matt that I maybe <laughs> forgot that. Uh, but thanks for joining us. Also want to thank episode sponsor Full Scale. Uh, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by FullScale.io. They can help, help you build a software team quickly and affordably. They can actually help you do a lot more than that. So definitely check them out at FullScale.io. Uh, keep an ear out. You know, One of the things that I've been really excited about, uh, Matt has been rolling out a, a special series on NFTs. And as somebody who doesn't really understand NFTs yet, uh, it has been instrumental in, in my education on the topic. I hope that it becomes instrumental in yours. So definitely keep an ear out for those episodes. And again, thanks for taking the time to, to spend with us as we share founder stories. We will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.